Like in any other industry, banks and other financial services companies have had to catch up with the global conversation around the topic of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Ensuring equitable access to resources and opportunities for individuals can enhance business performance. To achieve this, however, companies need to invest in building a thoughtful DEI strategy, collecting the right kind of data to track progress and identify potential gaps. They might also need to work with external stakeholders to attract a more diverse pipeline of talent. But what happens when that company has businesses across the globe? Not only might data protection and privacy laws differ, but there are also cultural differences to think about. Not everyone will want to respond to a self-identification survey. I'm Marianne Gro, sustainability reporter at Euromoney magazine, and in this episode of ESG Conversations, I sat down with City's Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer, Erica Irish-Brown, to hear more about how she manages the group strategy. So can you tell me a little bit about your role? I lead our global diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, which includes our external relationships, our brand as a diverse employer of choice, the thought leadership that we create, the research that we fund, and how we communicate around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I also lead our efforts around uh, our inclusion networks, which many other firms called employee resource groups, and how we create a culture of inclusion, including manager training, like unconscious bias. I also lead all of our efforts around accountability, around our goals and endeavors to be a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive uh, employer as well as our efforts around how we connect with our clients uh, and create marketplace opportunities through diversity, equity, and inclusion. On the talent side, I lead all of our diverse talent programs, as well as all of our succession planning, talent assessment, uh, executive coaching, uh, and talent um, uh, development programs globally. So the, the role of Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer, is this a new thing? Have you found that it, your role is kind of unique amongst your peer group or on the contrary, are you seeing it pop up uh, amongst different financial services companies? So it is not a new role. Uh, I think uh, Chief Diversity Officer roles have been around for a while. They've taken on different iterations and levels of importance, depending on the industry, depending on the firm, and even now, depending on the time. Uh, certainly, I think the role has become more prominent over the years, and there has been a recognition of the importance of having a senior leader in the role and not having it embedded too deeply in the organization. I think also as the topic of diversity, equity, inclusion has become a topic of conversation, you know, with investors at the board level, at the executive management team level, uh, there's been a recognition uh, that the more uh, seasoned, strategic, and and strong you know, practitioner that's in role can really be um, helpful in terms of having a firm that's serious about diversity, equity, inclusion achieve their goals. What has your experience been like in this role and how has the topic of diversity and inclusion evolved in the recent years? I've been in the diversity, equity, inclusion space now for almost 17 years, and the space has certainly evolved 
uh, over the years uh, from being a nice to have or the right thing to do to a business imperative. And, and frankly, over the course of the 17 years I've been in this space, there's been a great body of research that's been uh, developed that has backed up the business case for diversity. For me personally, it's been a great journey and I've always approached diversity, equity, inclusion like any other business. And I think now firms recognize that it is just like any other business of the firm. So you mentioned that, you know, some some of these companies might at times uh, employ a chief diversity and inclusion officer just for show. And in fact, I think it, the position itself has been getting quite a lot of criticism for being that at times. So how do you yourself at City ensure that this is not the case? And also, what would you say to uh, someone looking to prove that their position is, again, not just for show? The commitment has to start at the top. And and without that commitment, it's very difficult to have an impact. Um, I also think um, it helps to have accountability as part of the infrastructure for the role. So, you know, at City, uh, we hold leaders accountable uh, a couple of ways. Uh, we have three operating principles, transparency, metrics, and accountability. So the first thing I would say in terms of being transparent, uh, the more that you report, the more that you share, whether or not it's the demographics of your employee base or your um, you know, pay equity information or the diversity of your managing director class, I think transparency holds you accountable to uh, your employees and the public at, at large in terms of whether or not you really are making progress or not. Metrics are very important. We use metrics for everything. We take a data-driven approach to all of our efforts around diversity, equity, inclusion, but we do have aspirational representation goals uh, that are you know, quite global and across many dimensions of diversity, really quite inclusive. Yeah, the only other thing I would say, uh, Marianne, is that I don't think any diversity leader takes on the role with the intention of not being effective. But without, you know, resources, whether or not that's human capital or budget, without the support of senior leadership, um, without the ability to create and execute against a strategy, you know, that's informed by data, uh, you know, it's very difficult. The other thing that you do have to do, you have to have courage, you have to be brave, you have to be willing to speak truth to power, you have to be willing to use your voice. And you need to have a firm that has a speak up culture where others are prepared to be upstanders and use their voices as well. And very often that can be difficult in, in the corporate environment. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't think anybody intends, I don't think anybody intends not to be successful. I don't think firms just don't want to advance or be more diverse, but it's it's difficult to achieve. Absolutely. So on this point about allocating the right kind of resources to this objective, obviously, as you mentioned, this is a role that is like stands on the use and analysis of data. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about how you even access that data so at, we have a global self-ID campaign. Most of our data as it pertains to our employees is self-reported data. Um, we are, are very conscious country by country on what the laws are, what data we can collect, how we have to protect that data. And that's something that we do in earnest. And we understand that we need to create a culture that people feel comfortable disclosing that data 
and without fear of any repercussions. And I think that's important in terms of having psychological safety in order to share that information with the firm as part of their employee records. So um, it's a campaign that we've been on. We continue to grow in terms of the number of employees that have shared uh, their information across uh, dimensions of diversity, some that may be seen, some that are unseen dimensions of diversity. And, and that's data that we use to be able to see, you know, do all of our employees have the same career velocity? You know, are they getting promoted at same rates based on similar performance and similar roles? Um, you know, is our attrition rates uh, proportional to the populations as they exist within our organization? So we really do look at the data to understand if there is something that we should understand the root cause for or address. Beyond just the different legal environments that you're uh, subject to, like how do you manage the fact that simply from a cultural perspective, people might have a, a different perspective on sharing this kind of personal information and, you know, how that kind of tackles their right to privacy, for example. I know that in, in Europe, the conversation is very different on these types of topics. Absolutely. And it is, again, voluntary. Um, employees have the choice. They even have the choice in our self-ID categories to prefer not to say. But I think uh, culturally, there are differences. But more importantly, as humans, people just want to understand the why. Like, why do you want this data? And what are you going to do with it? And who has access to it? I think when we explain the why and um, and how we intend to use the data to really understand who our employees are, you know, how they want to be developed, what their needs are, what kind of support they need, what kind of, you know, how accessible do we need to be, you know, with our, you know, technology, with our physical workplace, uh, what wellness offerings do we need to have, what benefits should we aspire to have for our employees, any information that we have, we think we can use it to make sure that we're creating an environment for our our leaders not only to feel like they belong, but also so that they can thrive. How do you feel about the kind of data that you have been able to collect? Is it representative of enough employees to then be able to to give a kind of a long-term view of how the bank is doing according to its own targets? We have a substantial amount of data and we continue to push to collect more. So I'm speaking to you right now, Marianne, amidst a, a big global self-ID campaign that we literally launched two weeks ago. And right. uh, we we are using everything from key messaging to employee giveaways. Um, and, um, and we want to make sure that we're leveraging our inclusion networks as part of, uh, you know, part of our campaign and um and we will be reaching employees every way that we can so that at least there's understanding of what it is and what it isn't and our intentions behind collecting this information and again that's global and again we we collect you know nuanced information country by country which is consistent with, you know, the categories in the country, the laws in the country, you know, as well as the culture. So um, so we're not trying to just do a one size fits all. We are being really intentional on how we reach our people and 
and um, and what the categories are by country. But I do believe that we will uh, continue to increase the data that we have and use it with good purpose. Is the idea, you know, like with with gender, for example, there's this common just assumption that we're you know, working towards 50-50 because the population looks like that. It's 50-50 between genders. Um, is that the, the same approach for other types of diversities then? Well, for all diversity, gender included, it's actually not just based on a global population number. It's based on available talent pools. It's based on um, internal talent pools as well as external talent okay. pools. It's based on uh, you know, the businesses that we're in and, you know, who's getting technology degrees and who is getting, you know, um, uh, what is the demographics in the in the financial services industry. And so it's based on many different things, uh, not just um, uh, global world you know, population yeah. statistics. But then this kind of goes back to a point that you mentioned earlier, which is about finding the talent, attracting it, and then maintaining it. So how does a bank like yours take its responsibility to then ensure that enough uh, of a diverse pool of candidates are getting the right types of degrees that would fit your business later on? I think we play a role in an overall ecosystem around, you know, creating, um, you know, a diverse and inclusive industry overall. Um, you know, I think that the universities are also equally focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and 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 cultivating the next generation of inclusive leaders. So, you know, and I think even when you think about the different efforts and work that we're doing through our, our foundation and not just our firm uh, to cultivate and introduce, you know, financial literacy, financial um, inclusion, career opportunities. Uh, to you know, students as, as young as, you know, uh, middle school. And uh, I, I think there's so many different efforts to cultivate the pipeline and certainly um, organizations that really focus on pipelines that are nearer to our entry-level programs, um, like, um, like some of the organizations that we sponsor that we consider strategic diversity partners. Um, you know, for example, the Thurgood Marshall, you know, scholarship uh, that we support or other organizations that are pipelining students to college in general. And, um, you know, there's no shortage, I think, of efforts around different diverse pipelines, right? And, and it varies by country. So, um, you know, in the UK, even our focus on social mobility and how we create pipelines uh, for uh, first-generation college students or people of, uh, of different economic backgrounds. I think it really varies. What's most important is that we cast that broad net mm -hmm. and that we are accessing and meeting talent where they are and that we are really focusing on the next generation of leader that will come uh, from all places and spaces, not just the world's most elite institution, whether or not that's, you know, Oxbridge or Harvard, or, you know, we acknowledge that there are other universities in the U.S., for example, Hispanic serving institutions and historically Black colleges and universities. I think we're looking at broader sources of talent than just might what might have been the traditional sources uh, yeah. of talent in the past. 
Yeah. You know, City is kind of seen as a front runner in this space. So I wonder what what are you struggling with? What is the the most challenging aspect of your job? Um, I think the job is challenging, period, right? You know, and there are many aspects because uh, being an agent of change means asking people to do things differently. And um, most people are challenged when it comes to changing how they approach, you know, what they've been doing all the time, right? And I do believe that in recent years, there has been a renewed interest in diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and so some of the challenges of what was termed diversity fatigue has faded, but I think our challenge will be to maintain that same level of engagement mm -hmm. going forward. So, you know, that's something else I think about when I, you know, when I think about the challenges. And then of course, we're going into you know, a tough economic environment Yeah. So in tough economic environments, you have to worry about what is the potential effect on things like diversity, equity, inclusion, yes. and when decisions have to be made. Um, so I do think that that's a, a challenge as well. Um, so, um, you know, this is a role that is not without challenge overall. And, um, and I think Uh, one of the things that I think we're doing at City and I, I expect to be able to do going forward is, you know, stay the course and execute against what is a multi-year strategy, right? That consistency and creating sort of sustainable, you know, change over time, mm -hmm. I think is ultimately how we will win the race. And, and we hope not to experience setbacks and to steadily and sustainably work towards you know our goals as a firm fantastic well it does definitely sound like it is a very challenging role but super exciting as well erica thank you so much for your time i really appreciated our conversation and uh yeah i hope we can continue this dialogue going forward oh thank you Marianne. please keep in touch it was great to meet you